на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. For the first time in ages, it seems like we may actually have a title race in our hands in the RPL, as leader Zenit lost to Rubian at the weekend, while Spartak demolished Krasnodar, and Siska eased to a routine 2-0 victory over Akhmat, with new signing Salomon Rondon netting for the first time. Since the winter break, Zenit have picked up just one point from usually winnable games against Rostov and Rubian. To discuss the title race, and the rest of the weekend's fixtures in both the RPL and the Finnael, I'm joined again by David. Evening, James. And Richard. Good evening, James. Good evening, David. How are we all? I'm good. I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, it was a good weekend for my team. It was a good weekend for David's team. And it was a good weekend for your team as well, Richard. So we are going to start off with David's team. Ruben kept up their fine form with a 2-1 victory over Zenit at the AK Bars Arena. Despot opened the scoring with a penalty as he hit double figures of goals in the RPL this season. After that, Zenit were largely camped in the Rubin half with some stout defending and in particular excellent goalkeeping from one Yuri Jupin, keeping them at bay. That was until Sardar Azmoun headed home a Yaroslav Rakitsky cross. In injury time, however, Denis Makarov ran almost the length of a horrifically torn up pitch, or probably a mud bath, on his own and mugged off a certain Dan Lauren three times on his way to putting the horse back in front. But then there was some controversy right at the end, as then it were potentially awarded a controversial penalty. David, what did you think of Rubin's performance? I can imagine you're pretty ecstatic about it. Oh yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was phenomenal. It was a great, great performance. You know, we've we've done the double overs in it now. We've uh, we've won twice, both of both them two one wins. Uh, and it was it was just some game. You know, we we uh, as as we recall, obviously last week against Spartak, we had I think three players booked who were then to be missing this game. So we went into the game with Abulgar and Shatov missing, obviously in the centre of midfield. Big losses. Uh, and Begic was missing as well, although not, not necessarily such a big loss. I thought it was Aremovic, it was Begic who had been booked. So yeah, we're going into this game with our, our main centre midfield pairing. So we started uh, Leon Masayev and um, Darko Yevtic, who I, I was much maligned Darko Yevtic when he first signed. I just wasn't seeing anything from him, but he's really come on the last... Last couple of months or so, and was really has really become a, a good player for us. But it, you know, it's a worry. Leon Masayev making his first start for us against his former side there, and to make matters worse, then after about fifteen minutes, uh, Masayev goes off after a horrible clash of heads with uh, Aremovic. Both of them went for the same ball, uh, head they you know, and it. I mean, I don't know what actually happened to Masayev, but it looked like basically he'd lost, probably lost a couple of teeth. Like his whole mouth was just. Covered in blood, he was he got stretched off. It was a, it was a horrible collision. So then, in centre midfield, we had Darkyevtic playing next to normal striker or attacking player Mikhail Kostyukov. Um, so I was then bemoaning our luck because at this point, Zenit had hit the post twice in the first twenty minutes. They'd started brightly. We've been uh, were, were largely on the defence on the defensive. Uh, Wendell and Douglas Santos were very good down the left. Um, taking advantage of Makarov's slight lack of defensive uh, awareness or effort. You know, there was a lot of, lot of space for them. Uh, and Wendell was really good, uh, particularly excellent, excellent, I thought. See, so yeah, early doors, Asmoon, Asmoon hit the post twice in the first 20 minutes. You know, both both those could easily have gone in. 
I mean, at halftime, Asmoon could well have had four goals because Dupin then made two excellent saves before halftime to deny Asmoon. Um, not to mention then he scored in the second half as well. So, uh, yeah, we were riding our luck a bit that first half and I was I was not feeling it when Kostyakov came in. I, I was I was worried. I think I was thinking it was bad enough at the start and then Kostyakov came in um, and he was looking a bit a bit lost for a while. Um, you know, I remember here the Asmoon chance to hit the post it was Kostyakov he let him go he had a free header for the second one I was like damn if that if that's going to keep on happening this is not going to go well but he ended up being one of the best players on the pitch he he really picked up and grew into the role in the second half and, and was making interceptions and blocks all over the place so I give him full credit for putting effort into you know, playing in a position that he probably never played in or very rarely played in before um and then yeah, we sort of we sort of grew into the game a little bit as, as the half went on. Um, we're getting getting a bit of confidence. Obviously, we did get a penalty as you had mentioned. Um, it was harsh. I thought it was harsh. Maybe the rules just changed. Maybe I don't know the rules as well as I thought. From what I gather, obviously the penalty was given for handball. Despot um, had what for what I thought had made a cross. He hit Kaziyev in the midriff and bounced onto his hand. It very clearly hit his hand, but it hit his body first. As far as I knew, the rule was if it's the player's body before the hand, it's not handball. But from what I could gather, they seemed to assume that Despot had taken a shot and apparently handball blocking a shot, even if it does hit the body first, would still be counted as handball. It didn't look like a shot to me. It was nowhere near a tar- on target if it was a shot. But I said, I don't know what the rule is, but they give it. I'm not going to turn it down. We've had some very poor VAR decisions go against us. Um, Starfelt has been penalised twice for very weak handballs in the past so I'm taking those all day uh, you know he slots it away and, and we ride out the rest of the half relatively well the pitch did not ride it out very well it was I mean from, from the start it was uh, every every time someone took a step it was just the turf seemed to be getting stuck in the boots and just tearing up it was in a horrible state I think the night before I read it had been minus 18 in Kazan and obviously, it's you know we've just come out of a long winter as well, and you know they are still in the midst of winter. So the pitch was in a horrible state after the first half, and it just got worse during the second half. And Rubin's set up in the second half was let's just defend, let's just defend. Um, and we did for the most part do quite well with the defending. Uh, Zenit were quite limited with chances that they had, like actual chances. They had a lot, a lot, a lot of possession, but actual extreme chances there wasn't a great deal. Because um, Yaev putting a volley just past the post was the was the best one that I can recall. Uh, Wendell had a couple of long shots, which Stupin saved quite well, or not even well, just comfortably. Um, and I was starting to think, you know, if it got to a point where I, I thought to myself, we I actually looked and I looked at how many points we'd be on if we won the game. I thought, I hope this doesn't jinx me. And then two minutes later, uh, Zeni equalised. It's fuck. So um, at that point, I was fully expecting Zenit to win. They had the momentum. It's a classic Zenit thing to do to equalise late in the game and take the full momentum and go on and, and score a winner, right? That's that's a classic Zenit thing to do. Uh, and they fully put on the pressure. They weren't really getting anywhere still, though. You know, they were, they were not getting clear-cut chances. And then the magic of injury time happened. You know, Despot played an absolute peach of a ball. I don't know why he was back there in, in the box, Perhaps mm. tactical decision because he's maybe not as mobile as a guy like Makarov or Kucha. 
So De Despot had dropped quite deep. He was inside our own penalty box, picked up a loose cross, pinged it first time. It was it was an incredible ball, really, given given the circumstances. Straight into Makarov's path. And then he did the rest. You know, the, the videos out there on, on the, the Russian Premier League's Twitter feed. You know, it was it was just classic Makarov. Uh, I was expecting him to just take a shot early because that he can be, you know, he loves a shot. Uh, but I've seen plenty of clips of him doing chops. Yeah, there was a clip clip um, Ruben had put on their Instagram recently to the, to the Benny Hill theme tune with him just doing about six or seven chops in a row past one of the Ruben defenders in training, like just chopping back and forth for about 10 or 15 seconds. So it's not out of his character to do that. And he, he sat, sat Lovren and Sandals down and stuck it in. Uh and I was dancing for joy. I mean, it was a work day. It was on Monday when I was working, but I was still dancing for joy. Like, jumping for joy more than I have at an Arsenal game for a while, definitely. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, this, you know, we've actually won, you know, that that was that. And then, and then, uh, God, I, I went from from 100 to zero very quickly with the, the Zenit penalty at the end. You know, I, I didn't think it was a penalty. I know, I know you argued, obviously, that it was potentially a poor decision to make the challenge at what he did and maybe it was mm. maybe it was because he was maybe going nowhere I think he was just I think at that point Ruben was just desperate to, to chuck their body in front of anything and, and he clearly gets the ball he clicks the ball onto Sutormin and then you know there is contact between then Startup's leg and Sutormin, Sutormin's uh, torso or you know, midriff I don't know it seemed like basically two penalties in the game I didn't think either of them were penalties honestly but he gave it and then Zuba obviously is normally, you know, he's usually Mr. Calm, Mr. Cool on the penalties, right? He just does the little start step and slots it into the opposite corner from where the keeper's going. But for whatever reason, he, it did not work. And, and Dupin grabbed it quite easily. And that was that. Uh, you know, fantastic win for Rubin. You know, we've, against the big teams this season, we've done very well other than Loco. We, we've beaten Siska twice, we've beaten Zenit twice, beaten Spartak once and lost once. Loco's the only team out of the typical big four, if I'm not including uh, Krasnodar, um, who who we've not managed to get a win against. Um, so now we need to take take that into the rest of the season and uh, try and convert our, our poorer performances earlier in the season, which a lot of them coincided with the lack of despot on the pitch, um, and, and do well against the, the smaller teams. There's a couple of big fixtures later in the season. Week 25, we got Rostov. And Loco have got uh, Sochi or Spartak. I forget which one. So that's that's a big game week, you know, because we're now tied on thirty four points with uh, uh, with Loco and Rostov. Um, it, it was annoying to see that we'd beaten Zenit and Spartak in the last week, and we're still in eighth. Um, but that's just a, a shape of how tight it is, you know, between third place Spartak and eighth place Rubin. There's there's only four points. So yeah, we're really set up for it. But we we did tremendously well. We just Defended for our lives, limited Zenit. You know, I think we we took the the warning signs that Zenit had early on with the two Ice Moon chances. Um, relied on Dupin for for some heroics late on, and and we took our win. It was a yeah, it was a great game. What I really enjoyed about Ruben's twin matches, I suppose, the two big victories they've had the last two weeks, is that they're both entirely different performances. Zenit was very much a backs against the wall defensive shutout uh, Spartak, they really got in Spartak's face and pressed high and it just shows that Rubin have got defensive flexibility to really deal with what they need to deal with 
um, and it was excellent. On the penalties, um, yeah, I thought the the second one, the Zenit penalty was quite, the second one late on for Zenit was quite harsh on Starfelt, I think it was, but he's putting himself in a silly position by making the tackle in the first place. He's given the referee a decision to make. He doesn't need to do that. He just needs to shepherd the man out of play. Uh, he's going nowhere. But the, the penalty itself was a little bit harsh. There was contact, but contact doesn't necessarily mean it's a foul. Uh, that's one thing that a lot of referees really do interpret wrong. Um, the first one, though, the handball, I thought was just absolutely scandalous. Now, I, I remember saying in our RFN chat at the time that I wasn't really sure how that decision was going to go either way or whether I thought it was right either way, to be honest, because the the rules of the game in general from the very top down is just such a ridiculous mess at the moment in terms of handball. So I have grabbed a, a copy of the rules right now and it literally states that there will be no penalty if the ball touches the player's hand slash arm immediately from their own head slash body slash foot or the head that or the head slash body slash foot of another player. Um, now it, it does have caveats later on that uh, anything that stops a direct goal or goal scoring opportunity uh, would be given but that really is is that how it's either either they don't know that rule about it hitting somebody else first or you're yeah. putting another part of your body first which is kind of worrying if that's the case or they interpreted that as a goal scoring opportunity or direct or potential direct goal um, which it really, that's really, really yeah. vague if that's the it case. Was, it, well, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, as I said, it, it definitely hit the body first. The only way I thought, um, if it, if they didn't interpret it as a shot, if they interpret it as a goal scoring chance, based on where the cross was going, maybe it was going direct to Bukayev who was free, but you still wouldn't say it would have been a high, high XG chance, for example. Yeah. You know, it it would have been he would have still had to, because the ball was aerial, obviously. It wasn't on the ground. It would still have to have taken the touch and presumably executed a shot or found the room for a shot. So, so yeah, it did seem harsh to say. I thought both penalties were, were dodgy, and obviously that's the second game in a row where Rubin have been in a match with some dodgy decisions. Obviously, last week there were some very soft Yoda cards for both sides. You know, neither in neither game has the decisions favoured one team or the other. Um, you know, it was it was it's just the standard of refereeing and. But not even that, you know, I'm willing to give some leeway to the refs with the amount of rules and rule changes that are currently ongoing mm-hmm. and the pressure they are yeah. under to interpret it in a short amount of time. Granted, they still took five minutes to interpret it. Uh, I think that the incident happened in the 35th and the penalty wasn't taken until the 40th. So it took them a while still, but yeah, I, I'll admit there was there was potentially some, some fortune to that. But I say we've had our fair share of bad calls, I feel, this season, so I'm willing to take one going for us. Yeah, I think it also highlights VAR. A lot of the football world was sold on VAR by the authorities, by the technology makers and whoever else who pushed for it, TV companies mainly, uh, that these sort of decisions, like, say it would take both Ruben games last week, where the yellow card's a real fine line between is it a foul, is it a yellow, I've seen it interpreted this way and that way. You can really see both sides of the argument and think, yeah, that's that's an understandable case. With the both of these decisions, you can see why the rules are being interpreted as a penalty, but also entirely why it isn't. And we were all sold as a football community with that 
these just fine line decisions were really going to be solved by VAR. And if anything, the introduction of VAR has just magnified how difficult this is and made it an absolute mockery, to be honest, across the world. It's, I mean, it didn't VAR right now in Russia is not even working at half the grounds because it's too snowy for offside calls to be made. What? That technology is horrendous. And it's, it's really exacerbated the issue. Um, I felt, I feel sorry, like I said, I feel sorry for some of the referees who, when I ask, when I see a referee, I ask in consistency is not necessarily consistency to the rule book as a black and white example, because if that's the case, every single tug and push in the box is penalty, but it's their own internal consistency. If they interpret something one way, then they continue to do so and continue in consistency of their interpretation because the rules are so messed up right now, it's it's absolutely crazy, and it's really making referees and their decisions stand out a lot more. But to move back to the football itself, Richard discussing people who stood out. Do you think was there any players in particular from either side uh, who stood out for you on the day? Um, I like how David thoughts that I thought um, I thought uh, Wendell had a good game for Zenit. Um, he looked. Um, very lively in the first half, and in the second half, he had a nice, good few shots at goal, which um, Yuri Dupin saved with a relative degree of comfort. But they were on target, and yeah, he he was, I think, the, one of the most productive midfield, uh, one of the most productive players for Zenit um, in the midfield for them. Wendell. Um, as for uh, Rubin, I was really impressed with their left flank actually, um, of both um, Ilya Samoshnikov and uh, Kvitcha. Uh, they caught my eye. I've actually been impressed with Samoshnikov a lot in the Ruben matches that I've seen this season. He's a good, steady, consistent performer for them. You know, always consistent. seems to have good seven to eight out of ten games. And he's a player, in my opinion, who I believe that the Russian national team should be considering calling up for the March internationals. You know, um, I think he, he's 23 years of age, so he's a good age. And um, he certainly could be um, a future left fullback for Spornaya. Him and Dmitry Skopintsev look like they could have quite a strong fight going forward for the starting spot for um for the Russian national team. And um, I was really impressed with Yuri Dupin in goal um, as well. I mean, he's always very consistent. He's another one who I think certainly should be considered for a, a Russia call-up. Uh, that penalty save at the end, great composure under pressure. Um, and, you know, all game, he's just very consistent, Dupin. He, he holds balls well. He's a good shot stopper. Um, he's been such a brilliant discovery since he was bought by by Rubin from Angie and Angie impressed before that. You know, a real late bloomer in a, a real late bloomer career wise, um, and he's you know I think at thirty three now becoming you know one of the best keepers in the league, and I certainly think is worthy of being in discussions for the Euros. Even you know I, I know he's not had a cap yet, but he certainly should be being considered and and called up in my opinion. So yeah, there was there was. Um, those people stood out. Kvitcha as well. You know, he's always involved in games. Um, and, you know, I remember a couple of early touches he had early doors where he was giving Karavayev a hard time. Um, I think he drew a few fouls from, from that right, Zenit right side. So, yeah, they were the people who really stood out to me. And, and Makar's winning goal was brilliant. I mean, it, it even got um, on Bleacher Report. They published a video of it, which is, 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 is some good coverage for the league as well. And, um, you know, and and I'll give him a lot of credit. His dribbling skills on that pitch, and it was a cabbage patch of a pitch as well. It, it really was terrible. It was tearing up, as David said, when the players were just moving on it. And um, to, to show such good um, close ball control 
there and basically just turns and its defenders inside out and the run as well. And then the finish was nice and composed, was was brilliant. And it's it's brilliant to see what um what Rubin are doing and what what sorry what Slutsky's doing at Rubin. You know, he's taken players like Samoshnikov and Makarov from the Feniel at um and he's, you know, really developing them and Despotovic was an excellent signing up, up front on a free and um yeah, I'm I'm really impressed with his work though and uh, Rubin battled hard for that win and um yeah, those players were key to it. That left side of Samoshnikov, Kvicha and Dupin in goal. Yeah, certainly. I think Dupin's continuing his excellent season. You know, the the header, I think Dupin was duped by. I know I say that a lot. It's a good word. But he, he kind of, if he didn't, he, he, kind, he tried to come for the cross, realised he was in no man's land, had to take a step back. And by the time he'd done that, yes, he got the Asmoon's header and nearly saved it but if he hadn't made that slight mistake he would have probably been there to easily gather the ball up but I don't want to be too harsh on him because he was peppered so much and he was under so much pressure for the entire game and that penalty save was excellent he kept his cool when it mattered so not a big issue but I thought he was excellent for the for the rest of the match uh, David one word answer can Ruben sneak into Europe yeah and Richard one word answer is this a stumble for Zenit or a little bit more worrying in the long term? Stumble so far, but could be worrying if they don't beat um, Atmat at the weekend. So, big, big game at the weekend for Zenit. That was definitely more than one word. I think you cheated. I think you cheated everyone. <laughs> yeah, one sentence answer. <laughs> now, if we, if we move on, before the game, there was an interesting interview that appeared on, on Sport Express, and that was a certain Nikita Vasyukin. Now, he was an analyst who was at Zenit for three and a half, four years, and he left Zenit for Rubin in the summer. And in this interview, he, it was quite in-depth and revealing, especially about his time at Zenit. Understandably, he didn't discuss too much about Rubin because he's currently being paid for and works for Rubin. But on Zenit, the, this first part that we want to discuss, he, he spoke about the relationship at, at the club between Javier Rabalta and Sergei Samak. And he said that uh, at Rubin, they work closely together, the directors and the manager. In my opinion, Semak and Rabalta did not always find a common language. Sometimes it was hard to understand what we are looking for. We were looking for specifically what the requirements were that they have for the players. We were just trying to find a good footballer. Richard, do you think that this disconnect, perhaps, that he is alluding to, do you think that's potentially evident in how transfer uh, Senate go, go around some of their business at times? Well, I mean, it can't help. Um, it's, yeah, it, it is interesting. I was I saw that earlier today. I was reading it and um, it's, um, it's a bit of a troubling look, isn't it? Um, and, you know, it, it is interesting to see what, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what will happen from now to end of the season going forward at Zenit um, because, you know, we were all staying at the start of the season. Simak, he looked, you know, very secure on the back of two league titles. And even though they went out of Europe before Christmas last season, the performance in the Champions League was still quite good. You know, they were unlucky in both the games against Leipzig. Um, you know, they, they performed well in their home matches. They beat both Benfica and Lyon at home. Lyon made the Champions League uh, semi-finals, of course, beating Man City. So, you know, even though they went out 
in the group stage and didn't make Europe after Christmas. They were they were unlucky. They finished bottom of the group with seven points. So you thought going into this season, right, now we really want to see Zenit kick on. But it's just not... Yeah, something's just not quite right. Performances have dropped big time in Europe. And since the restart, Zenit have looked a bit slack. And I'm, I'm still convinced it's just a blip at the moment. But... They don't win against that matter at the weekend. This could really become problematic, and you know the, the Zenit hierarchy will certainly, you know, if they even if they creep over the line to a title, if the performances don't start improving, then they're going to have a decision to make on Samak in the summer because this is becoming a little bit concerning now. You know, and there are some decent managers out of work this summer who are going to be on the market. So it's uh, some interesting times. But yeah, these comments. Yeah, it, it's been a real interesting revelation uh, when I was read, when we were all reading that earlier today. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it does really get highlighted when you co- when you continue on with uh, Nikita's comments, and in particular, you sp- he spoke about Malcolm, the big money signing in 2019, and about Malcolm, he said that when he came in the summer of 2019, when he needed. Uh, Semak needed an attacking player on the right flank with a left foot. That was what we determined the team lacked. The ability to beat a man one-on-one with high-quality high quality penetrating passes and who could create chances in the semi-flank and essential zones. The research department will never suggest a player like Malcolm. You can't even think that such a player is available to go to a Russian club. One of our first candidates for the position was Rafinha, who then played for Sporting, moved on to Rennes, and now plays for Leeds in the Premier League. We appreciated him very highly. He fit into the budget that was announced to us for much less money than Malcolm. And he continues on by saying that it's a, it's the fact that a player like Malcolm would not have went to the RPL because many would prefer, say, the French League as a springboard and not the Russian one. But the club decided to sign Malcolm, even though we had not the analytical, the analytical department had not redone the research in such a situation. So, David... What do you think about this? But about Malcolm, it's a, it, it kind of it's typical Zenit, really, isn't it, to go out there and get the big money signing when potentially there's better op- options elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, any, I'll, I'll give the the leader some leeway, some slack because obviously Malcolm is a good player. He came with a good background. You know, granted, it was a hefty price tag, but it's a guy who's who's played for Barcelona, he's going to be good. And obviously they've been unlucky with his injuries. But, you know, you have an an analytics department for a reason and you need to listen to them and use them. What's the point in having them if you're you're just going to go over the heads and buy some other guy who they've not even looked at? But as as we've discussed before, maybe not even on podcast, but we've discussed before, um, it's it's just the Zenit way, you know, since the big money spending back in uh, you know the, the 2000s on, on Hulk and Witzel, they've sort of set a precedent of of being the big Russian club who can attract the big names. Um, and it, it's the Zenit thing now where in order to uphold this reputation of being the biggest and being the best um, and to probably try and keep the reputation that, that they had with Hulk and Witzel, who were, you know, who really, you know, if, if you ask anyone who doesn't care for Russian football, you know, name name someone who played in Russia. You, you'd probably bet that Hulk or Witzel would probably be in one of the first three or five names they would say. Um, so they've set this precedent where you know they they 
Zenit thrive off their reputation. Obviously, the money from the Champions League is big, but that you know, in terms of reputation, they need to they they like to stick with that. And so Malcolm was just, as Vasukin said in his interview, Malcolm just fitted what the leadership wanted or needed in terms of let's get a big name in for for some publicity, some popularity, try and grow the club's stature. Whereas if they had, let's just say, let's just say Rafinha was willing to come and they did make it happen. That's a player who we've seen now at Leeds is performing very, very well in the Premier League. Obviously, we don't know how injuries might have gone by adaptation or anything like that. You know, it's 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 hard to say that yes, it would have been a better signing than Malcolm, because anything can happen. Malcolm might not have got injured, Rafinha might have got injured. But um yeah, it's not great for them to obviously go over there. Go over their heads, but we know that's what Zenit will be like in the market. They're they're not going to go out there and sign young talents all the time. Obviously, they had that little flurry uh, in Argentina a few years back with with the guys. And you know, let's be honest, one or maybe two of those five that they bought in, Paredes and Drusi, they're the only real successes that have come out of that that splur- that splurge. Um, so yeah, not not a surprise at all, really, um, to hear of some some mismanagement. At Zenit or at any Russian club, let's be honest, there's going to be stuff going on all over the shop because, as we know from from someone like Fedun, um, they sometimes are the ones that know the best as far as they're concerned. So, um, so yeah, concerning but not not altogether unsurprising. Yeah, I think maybe I was a little bit harsh on Zenit. If if a player like Malcolm becomes available, then and you can afford him, you can't sign him, then maybe you do have to go for that option. It's not like even Vasukin's saying himself, he's not saying that Malcolm wouldn't be a good fit or wouldn't be such a good signing. It was actually saying that we, we didn't do the research because he seemed so far out of their range, which is entirely fair enough. But one player who was in their range and the signs in that that January overhaul alongside Wilma Barrios and Yaroslav Rakitsky was Sardar Asmun. And Vasukin's comments about Asmun were that he could safely play in the top league at a club that's fighting for European Cups. But there is a question regarding his defensive qualities. At Zenit, he's greatly relieved of the hard work and could put pressure on one possession and then rest for three possessions. In Europe, these requirements are different. If you were going to, say, Leeds, for example, then no matter how strong of an attacker you are in attack, in defence you must constantly press and play one-on-one against the opponent's defenders. Now he gives another few examples here of, of Chiro Mobile for Lazio, Dortmund's attackers, uh, Porto's, different different clubs. And he says that Asmoon runs about 9 kilometres per 90 metres and takes very long pauses when the, teams are de- the team is defending. This is not good or bad, but it's just conditions to one with which one must adapt. For example, Messi generally runs eight kilometers, but makes a, a large, huge difference in attack. So it's just quite an interesting one about Asmoon, about how his he's basically the perfect man for a club who's going to dominate possession and territory for the majority of games. Do you think, Richard? Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. Yeah. Um, also, like I say, with regarding to the running stats, so he mentioned um, he mentioned Immobile there as well. And about him running, I think it was something like 11 kilometers in 90 minutes. That's obviously 2K per match more than Asmoon. And I think it almost, it's great in the RPL for a team like Zanit, who obviously will, you know, be on the front foot most games, will be playing probably against a lot of teams who are sitting deeper. 
But I think as the Champions League showed us this season, when you're playing against higher intensity opponents like Borussia Dortmund and Lazio in top five European leagues, you can tell the, you can tell like like we obviously we all watch um, other football apart from the Russian Premier League. We watch also you know the English Premier League. I I watch quite a lot of uh, Serie A and La Liga uh, in addition to Premier League matches, and you can tell when you're watching a top five league that. The Leeds example is quite interesting. Yeah, you have to work off the ball. And it's generally just a lot more. Um, the pace of the game is quicker. The tempo of the game is quicker. You you, you really do have to be on it right from the start. And and yeah, Asmund has been perfect for the RPL. And I do think, like I said, certainly going to throw my hat into the ring and say that he has got the potential to play abroad. We've seen him in, in a top five league. We've seen him recently linked with Sevilla, which was quite an interesting link. But um, but yeah, it, it sums up where he's going to have to go with his game because when you play for a top five league, the standard of the opponents that you're playing against is higher and you're going to have to get used to a, a higher tempo and intensity. And um, so that's something obviously you'll have to adapt. I think he can adapt, but it also probably sheds, sheds a light there on perhaps Zenit's um, inability this season to really perform well at all in Europe because when they come up against higher calibre opponents than what they're used to domestically and the tempo of the game increases then they've come up they've come up short unfortunately. Yeah, certainly. It's it's quite similar to Kento Hashimoto's comments that we discussed quite a few pods ago. I think it was before the either just after the winter break or before the winter break, one of the two, where he mentioned that the Japanese league in his eyes is far more technical than the Russian league. It's a but it's also considerably slower. It's a considerably easier game, and not in terms of easy opponents, but it's an easier game to play for him from a physical point of view. And that's kind of the next step up from Russia to to the top five is is that, in, like you say, Richard, that intensity just increases massively. And one player who has got a, a huge amount of intensity and a huge amount of promise as well is actually move over a Rubin. And it's Vaskukin was asked about a certain Kavisha. And on him, he said that he is one of the key players in our team. He's one of the best players in the league in his position. It's clear that, first of all, it's worth talking about his talent and the data himself, the co- the work of the coaches with him, the work done by himself. He's got, a, he's got a very varied dribbling, not only on clean balls, but also within close contact. If he th- If he gets the ball away, he can get away, basically. He's improved a lot physically over the past year. The qualities where he needs to improve are the final final ball, the completion of the attack and the creation of chance. Slutsky and the coaching staff constantly focus on that with him. A lot of the training drills are aimed at making the winners and centre player better at the end. After every friendly game, there's a lot of theoretical work. The coach pays a lot of attention when to sharpen and when to play more accurately. He's becoming a more mature footballer week in, week out. If he either constantly climbed into a stroke, beat two and then went to a third, he'd now be looking for an option to save the ball. Now, we'll mention Kavisha and we'll end Ruben Zeni on that because he's been linked to Juve, Milan and Dortmund in today's press and, and a few other clubs. David, does do you, does this match with what you hear a lot about Kavisha in, in training where he is, and you can see he's maturing every week, but that Slutsky works a lot with him? Um, well, we certainly know that Slutsky is... It's focusing a lot on him. You know, we've we've said in, in previous uh, in a previous pod that you know, he's given basically future the free will to to express himself on the pitch. You know, he he encourages him to run with the ball at any opportunity he can. Um, and 
you know, it's something we've been saying. Obviously, he is very young. He's only just turned 20. But we, we said a lot over the last year when he was showing promise and he was always looking like a bright player on the pitch that, you know, while he was beating players a lot, he needed to improve his final decision or his final execution of the pass or the shot, whatever it may be. Uh, despite, you know, at that point, he was still progressing the ball very well, which he does, or creating chances. You know, he's one of the best chance creators in the Premier League. Um, despite despite his sometimes poor execution, he's still creating chances just because of the sheer volume of times that he does what he does. But we're definitely seeing, I think, from this time last year to this time this year, he's made huge leaps and bounds. Um, I think I noticed big time over the over the winter break and those friendlies, he was he was looking very very good, um, especially when it came to the final ball. Like he, I think he scored scored three or four goals uh, and assisted a number of goals in five matches as well um, over the winter break. Um, so yeah, he's definitely improving a lot. He's being encouraged a lot. You know, we Richard mentioned earlier about Stutsky uh, developing developing Samoshnikov and Kvitsha. Uh, and it, you know, it's he's got a pedigree in doing that with with guys like uh, Golovin and Martin Odegaard and um, Jared Bowen at Hull. So ideally, he's in a very good place um, to develop further. Um, whether whether he goes anywhere is is another question. You know, um, arguably and undoubtedly, player clubs are going to be scouting him. Uh, you know, it's a young player who's got some of the highest dribbling stats in all of Europe. Uh, that's that's not going to go unnoticed, um, and this is probably just the first time we're getting wind of it in in the press. But yeah, he's definitely coming on, and I think every every week almost at the moment he's looking better and better. Um, even against Zenit, he didn't even like necessarily have a flashy game or a good game, and maybe that's a good thing. That you know he was just doing what he did, and he did most things well. Uh, didn't always dribble the ball. You know, had chances. Second half, he was just part of the unit that helped defend. You know, for that last goal that we we scored the winner, he was back on the edge of our box with everyone else, and McCarver was the only guy at the pitch. Um, so yeah, it's he's he's a very very promising player, as we all know. Very exciting player to watch. Um, and I think from what from what I can gather, he's he's not the kind of player like Ignatiev, whose mentality isn't there. Ignatiev seemed like. Uh, a classic sort of young Russian player who's who's happy with the money that he's getting. You know, he's, spent, he's got a lot of flashy stuff, a lot of flashy cars. Um, Kvitsa just seems to really enjoy his football and seems to always work hard from what I see in the videos on social media of training. And that's a good sign. That's what clubs will be looking for when they're looking at players, you know, young players. This is the, his, uh, I'm taking a lot from Arsene Wenger's book, which I just read recently. He was saying that between the ages of 18 and 22, that's key in, the, in a player's development. So this is the key part in his career where he should be growing into the player that he will eventually be for the peak of his career. Mm. So he needs to be playing regularly, which he is, and he needs to be improving regularly, which I also think he is. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of lot of promise here. You know, there's still work to be done, but there's a lot of promise, and I think we're definitely seeing signs uh, of of change. And I think his teammates would be happy as about that as well. See, we we uh, have heard that they were maybe getting frustrated with with. Uh, his occasional over selfishness, but um, I think that will change. And yeah, uh, very very exciting player. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of promise in Kavicha. And if we move on to the next game, where there's not necessarily a lot of promise, but there is definitely a lot of promise, and that was Spartak return the <sighs> winning ways. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd get a reaction on that one. 
and piled the misery upon struggling Krasnodar with a huge 6-1 victory at the Otkriti at the weekend. Jordan Larson and Sanya Sobolev both scored a brace each. The latter actually was on his birthday, becoming the first player for Spartak since Lewis Robson to score a brace on his birthday. While Promise got his early goal, as well as Ezekiel Ponce. Yuri Kaczynski did score an excellent long-range one for the visitors in reply. But this was a real potent attacking performance from Spartak and much needed after three defeats in a row. So David, first, just do you think this scoreline maybe flatters Spartak a little bit? Because the game was very close at one at one point, especially around this uh, Maximenka save and then the two goals that really in two minutes that, that went in that kind of killed the game a little bit for, for Krasnodar. Yeah, I mean... Definitely so, you know, Spartak took the early lead with some, you know, they played really well early doors, um, obviously scored within the first 60, 63 seconds. The second goal, Larson with an incredible pass through for, for promise. But then after that, they, they barely had a shot. I think they had one more shot before then. It was just all Krasnodar for the rest of the second half. Um, and that carried on early in the second half. Uh, and as you say, there was the, the huge chance which fell to Remy Cavella. Uh, where uh, Sasha Maximenko has made, you know, an incredible reflex reflex stop um, to to run out ahead of him going in, and uh, which was followed up by a goal line clearance from Samuel Gigo. Um, Maximenko's save uh, had just stopped it from going in and gave gave Gigo the chance to get the final touch to keep it out. And you know that goes in early second half. That that probably rattles the nerves a bit for 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 uh, Spartak. Um, obviously, Kaczynski then did score about ten minutes later. Obviously, belt from distance. They'd had other chances before that, and it was it was then strange. You know, they had all these big chances, and then it was this just you know rocket out of nowhere, which you know twenty five yarder to top corner. No one could do anything about it, which uh, finally broke the deadlock. And they kept on going, but they were doing classic Krasnodar where they were you know pressing very high. They they had a makeshift back line. I think Yonov was playing right back, which obviously he was naturally going to push up. You know, being a being a winger as a as a as a natural, and at that point it really was on tenterhooks. I remember I was watching the game and I remember thinking, you know, this the next goal is going to be crucial here. You know, if Krasnodar get it, this is going to be a, a tasty finish. Um, but that wasn't the case, you know. Krasnodar over probably over pressured, over pushed, left the service open on the counter, conceded conceded on that very quick counter attack um, with Sobolev finishing it off. And they didn't learn from that. And two minutes later, the same thing happened off corner. And then it, it was so it went from 2-1, which could have potentially been 2-2 at any particular moment because Krasnodar were pushing hard, to suddenly being 4-1 Spartak from two from two attacks, two goals, two attacks in two minutes. Um, and that and after that, you know, anything could happen in that game. It was, you know, the game was the game was done already. Uh, and Krasnodar were were doing were probably just following the exact same as normal. They were still trying to attack. Obviously, they were playing with a makeshift back line, a very young and experienced keeper. And Spartak just carried on uh, plugging away and obviously got, got another two towards the end. Um, I think at that point, obviously, all, all the confidence was gone from Krasnodar. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, I, well, maybe not flattered, but it it was, if someone said, wow, 6-1, Spartak dominated, that, that, necessarily, that wasn't necessarily the story of the game. Um, and I think at half-time or... When Gazinski scored, if someone had said to you, "This is going to finish six one to Spartak," yeah, most people would have said no chance because Krasnodar were really on the ascendancy. But um, 
that's just how football goes, you know. It can swing one way and then and then it all falls apart, and that's what happened. Yeah, unfortunately, I I watched the first two goals and then I turned the turned the game off for, to make some food for my family, and then <laughs> came back to the game afterwards and kind of like messaged our chat and was like incredulous, like, what six one? Because at that point, Krasnodar were well on top. Um, it just just showed that like how quickly things can change in football and and Richard on that on Krasnodar's disappointing performance and continued disappointing performances which has went on for quite some time do you think that Krasnodar will qualify for Europe and is it maybe a good thing if they don't well they're already um, Dinamo are in 5th place with 36 points Krasnodar are in ninth on 31 so they're already 5 points off and there's a whole host of teams who are playing a lot better than them at the moment in terms of form. Like Rubina playing better than them in terms of form. Dinamo are better than them in terms of form. Sochi, Spartak. So it's going to be a real, and Lokomotiv as well. So it's going to be a real challenge for them um, to, to, to make Europe next season. Um, truth be told, I don't actually think it might, not necessarily might not be a bad thing for them to miss Europe for next season, especially if they're going to conduct a rebuild. Because as we were saying on the pod, couple of weeks ago um that they need to really rejig some of them foreign spots and um we still don't know whether the foreign limit's going to change or not there was some cautious talk of possibly going up to 12 um you know that's all it is at the minute cautious talk we've not heard anything definitive definitive but um but yeah maybe missing europe and having a year out and rebuilding might not necessarily be the worst thing in the world because qualifying for europe now is going to be really tough because fifth place might not even get you it depending on who wins the russian cup so at the minute i'm probably inclined to think probably going to rule them out of qualifying for Europe, although they've got a match against Tamboff at the weekend, so you'd assume they'll win that, but it's certainly going to be a fight for them, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think they will either. Um, of course, they'll miss they'll miss the money, they'll miss the lure of European football for foreign getting the foreign names in to fill up those quarter spots in the, in the team, but I, I agree. I think they're too many of their foreigner spots are, are either players who are old, like Berg, granted excellent against Dinamo Zagreb in the first half, uh, first leg, or are just sick notes. There's so many of them that are sick notes, and this this injury crisis across the door is crazy because a lot of it is just bad luck. You can't put ACLs and leg breaks and these type of injuries, the way that they are getting them, from pretty just like innocuous but challenges, robust challenges, and that's that's not down to training or a poor pitch or anything like that. That's pure just shit luck. I mean, to get what what was the left back the sign called? I can't even remember his name because he was only there for about ten minutes and uh, then got Ambrose, injured. Ambrose Ayongo. Ambrose Ayongo. He, he, he was only there for ten minutes to replace the left back who's already out for the season. Then he gets sent out for the season and gets sent back to France. But on Spartak and and their excellent performance. Now Quincy promises had two games back. The first one, he very much looked like a man who hadn't really played any competitive football for a very long time because of a bizarre cloud hanging over his head regarding some um, police issues in in Holland without getting into it further because he can't yet. Um, the other one, though, was really enigmatic and linked up with Jordan Larson in particular very nicely on the day against Krasnodar. David, which one... Do you maybe expect to see going ahead? Do you want is it going to be the good old Quincy Promise back again? Maybe on the evidence of the weekend. Um, it'll be hard to say. I didn't think he blew 
blew uh, Krasnar apart. I think Larson was definitely uh, the better, just in my thought, I thought Larson was oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the key player on the day. You know, Promes did his bit. He scored the goal from the, the easy chance that he had. And, uh, you know, he sprinted away and, and set up the easy assist. You know, he didn't have to do anything difficult in the game. But he, you know, he didn't also then have a bad game like he did, like I would have said he did against Rubin, where he was largely invisible. Um, but it shows that maybe he's growing into growing back into, you know, the flow, the pace of the game. You know, it's a step down, um, which you might say, uh, in terms of pace, might might be easier, might be more difficult. Maybe it's a step up actually. I don't know compared to the you know, the Eredivisie and the and the RPL. So yeah, I think he's probably just uh, just settling back into to the flow and the team. Obviously, he's got completely new teammates than from what he had the first time. So he's got to you know learn how his team play. He's got to readapt and, and gel with the squad. So it's going to take some time to to get him used to it. I think we'll see a little bit of inconsistency over the next few games where he'll have flashes. Uh, and there probably will be games where he's probably not as good as uh, as he was, you know, where he puts in another Ruben performance um, just while he's gelling back with his teammates. But the way Swartek are playing, then there's always going to be chances for him. Um, you know, they're scoring a lot, scoring a lot, a lot. Um, so, um, so yeah, he he should he should just be a, a, a solid part of that team as they push for a potential title challenge or certainly for a top five. You know, it, it looks unlikely that they're going to drop out of the top five at this rate. So, back in Europe for this season at the very least. As the interested neutral, David, would you say that if you're promise, would you rather have the partnership from the cup-winning team of Zilowish, Luis Adriano and Fernando or Sobolev, Larson and Alex Kral playing alongside you? You'd probably want a mixture. I'd, I'd want Fernando in the midfield, but Adriano and Zilowish were not the most mobile of forwards, whereas Larson is Larson's, you know, very similar to Promise in, in some ways. Uh, you know where where well not not even similar but they have a they have a more direct style compared to Zeluish and Adriano. They those two would never really dribble with the ball particularly, whereas Larson and Promise are very comfortable doing that. Ponce is not really like that. I would I would say Ponce is quite similar to Asmoon in some senses. They're just penalty box strikers. Put them in a the box, they'll they'll try and get on the end of stuff and and do things like that. Um, so you'd probably want a mixture. Um, if I if you know if, from talking from his perspective. You've got you'd want Fernando there rather than Crow, who's probably got the more creativity. But up front, you have then replaced Adriano Zeluis with Larson and Sobolev or Ponza, who probably do then offer the bit extra creativity. So you, if you had a mixture of both, then that it'd be ideal. And I think in general, you probably I'd probably lean more to the current setup. But Fernando does have a lot of have a lot of strengths. But maybe maybe the two you know the two big. Big men, as I'm going to say, they're not exactly big, but the the less mobile strikers of the olden days. Maybe they were more beneficial to Promise's game, you know, to allow them to. Maybe they did the the hold up play better enough um, for Promise to run off them. So um, you know, hard to say, really. But I think my per, I uh, I couldn't pick. Uh, it would be a mixture, definitely. Yeah, and that really leads into my next question. Where in the last game. Tedesco was, well, during the winter, Tedesco was experimented with the back four quite a lot. And in the game against Rubin, it was it was definitely more so of, of a flat 4-4-2. Now, against Krasnodar, he changed back to his favourite formation of the 3-4-3, and which 
Promes really had a free role in behind Larson and Sobolev. So, Richard, quickly on to Desco, we've seen him field that back four and now back three. So, which which one do you think is better for Spartak and maybe better for getting the best out of Promes? Because previously, I mean, the first one, the back four, where Spartak really didn't look very creative or strong at all, was what Promes' old best position was when he was cutting in off the left-hand side, doing what he wants under Carrera. Do you think maybe that the back three where he's got a more central free role is maybe now more conducive to getting the best out of Promes in the long term? I really like that three-man formation, uh, James, at the weekend. I, I really like that formation indeed because obviously Spartak have been familiar. The rest of the players have been familiar playing that formation all year. Um, I also think Victor Moses had a good game for um, for Spartak too. I think um, I think on the first goal, I think it was he he combined quite the second goal. Sorry, it was that he combined quite well. I think he gave the pass to Larson, who then threaded the ball through for Promes to score. Um, so I I think I'd probably stick with that formation um, going forward now with Promes in a central free role because um, then it allows you to have two strikers. And then obviously, you know, the only other change you'd probably consider making to that lineup is probably Zobnin in for um, Umyarov when when um, when he's back from his uh, red card suspension. Although I thought Umyarov had a very good game, and that's a nice encouraging sign to see for Spartak going forward. But yeah, that that three man um, that three five two formation, I think, is something I persist with going forward. I think Spartak looked really good in it. Um, you know, promise adds an extra dimension to that. I think, yeah, there's, there's been some times this season where you could argue Spartak have probably lacked a little bit of spark at the tip of the three, but I think um, he can give them that. No, Kral's all energy style in midfield will complement that too. And um, I really love John Larson his, uh, uh, for Spartak. His performance was absolutely outstanding. Um, he was mm. he was by far the best player on the pitch against Krasnodar. Just important. I just hope he um, stays clear of suspension and injury because he's the natural second striker in that team and he doesn't really have a backup. So it's important that he stays fit for Spartak. Um, and he was he was outstanding. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them stick with this three-five-two uh, going forward. For me, it looked it looked good for Spartak. Looked a lot more. Um, they looked a lot more uh, penetrative and um, threatening playing it. And um, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, absolutely. There's a real nice balance with Spartak's attack right now where you have the prototypical target man, creative second striker, and then the penalty box poacher, as David mentioned about Ponce. You don't quite have that balance in defence yet because they are very much a glass cannon still, but that's a lot of Tedesco's game. Speaking of Tedesco, Richard, you've heard about, you've seen some rumours about a potential return to Schalke on the cards, as we all know, he's leaving Spartak at the end of the season. Yes, I I saw those rumours, actually. I think it was last week I saw them. But I mean, you know, we've all all laughed at Spartak for being a bit of a madhouse, you you principally, James, um, because obviously you follow the club quite closely and... You know, um, we all laugh at them being a bit of a madhouse, but um, I've actually had a look at Schalke recently. You know, they're apparently they're on the, the rock bottom of the Bundesliga. They look set for relegation. They couldn't even beat Mainz, who are second bottom, at home last weekend. Uh, apparently, some people who've watched the Bundesliga that weekend got in touch with me and got, spoke to me and I listened to a few podcasts and they said it was one of the worst games they'd seen um, between two awful sides and Schalke still couldn't score. And uh, they're looking certainties for relegation to Bundesliga too. Uh, they're in a huge amount of debt, um, so it's going to be a long road back to the top. And apparently, they're on the fifth manager of the season, and four other backroom staff left after they got rid Jesus. of Christian Gross as well. Yeah, it's 
if you think Spartak's a madhouse, Schalke is an even bigger madhouse, and that takes some doing. Um, <laughs> so I really, if I was Tedesco, yes, if you want to go back to Germany for family reasons, which I totally understand, fair enough, but Tedesco's good enough to get a one Bundesliga job. He's too good to be managing the two Bundesliga. You know, I think there's there's plenty of clubs out there who, in the middle end of the Bundesliga table, I'm even thinking someone like Hertha Berlin, who've had a bit of money spent on them recently, have ambitious plans to go going forward to push for... Europa League, Champions League qualification on a, on a persistent basis. You know, I'd surely even if I was Tedesco, be willing to wait four, five, six months for an opportunity like that rather than go to Schalke where there's going to be no money to spend to Bundesliga football, which you, you in my opinion, a much better manager then. And then there's also the case of going back to Schalke after, you know, it acrimoniously ended there. I mean, that'd be a bit haphazard about going back. So, but I mean, you know, after working in a madhouse like Sparta, who knows, maybe a madhouse like Schalke is just probably, you know, um, something that might suit him. Who knows? But um, I'd be waiting around for a one Bundesliga job personally myself. Yeah, I think I think that's what, he, what he'll do. And, you know, he's already confirmed that he wants to go home for family reasons. And if we move across the dugout, we'll finish off again with some quick one word fire answers, um, short as possible. David, do you think that Messiah will last the season as Krasnodar coach or not? Uh, yes. Richard, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I think he will. Um, Galitsky's already came out on the record and said, claimed that he will not be sacked, even if Messiah does lose every game left. Um, it's understandable with how Galitsky wants the club to be ran uh, from the academy as the central point. I'm not 100% sure if that's the right thing to do yet, but time will tell on that. Now, Richard, you did catch some of the Dinamo game against Tambov at the weekend. Just want to quick, give a quick summary of that? Yeah, it was... Um, I think Dinamo probably should have really won that by another goal or two, really. Um, they did enough, though. I mean, they didn't really need to play at full intensity because we all know that Tambov are just... Um, just a complete disaster show at the moment, aren't they? And, you know, Dinamo could easily have played at second, third gear and still won the game convincingly by a 2-0 scoreline. Um, I think part of it was that Dinamo were probably saving a bit of energy for the, the derby against Spartak this weekend, which is totally understandable from their point of view because it's a big game in the race for the European spots. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it was not a lovely game by Arsene Zakarian, by the way. He, he provided a lovely... Pinpoint assist through for um, Vyacheslav Gruyoff, another one who Sandro Schwartz has improved. You know, whenever I've seen Gruyoff in the past, I've thought of him as not really being a bit like Karapuzov, a bit like um, Anton Tedekov, not quite of the the quality to to really make it through at Dynamo. And I mean, I'm still when Schwartz gets the opportunity to restructure this squad in the summer a little bit, um, I'm still uncertain he'll be a starter. But to be fair to Gruyoff, he has um, Vyacheslav Gruyoff. To be fair to him, he has. Um, Shown some good good things in the last couple of games. You know, he scored. It was a lovely, well-taken goal that he got at the weekend. Lovely assist from Zakarian. And, you know, even if not a starter, he could be a useful backup option for, for, for Dinamo. And it's nice to see Schwartz having a look at him and utilising him in a couple of different roles. Um, thought Morrow and Shimansky were really good in midfield again. You have Jeniev nice and solid at the back. Um, so so yeah, I, I thought it was a, it was it was it could have been better from Dinamo, but taking into consideration the opponents they were playing, I understand probably leaving a bit in the tank for the for the Spartak game, and um, I'm really looking forward to that game after Dinamo and Spartak's results at the weekend. I think it should be um, a very good um, oldest Russian derby. 
and across the other side of Moscow in the other side of the title race as well. David, how did Siska get on in the weekend against Akhmat? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was comfortable for them. Uh, they didn't really break stride. Um, Rondon started, um, hit the post in the first half uh, before then getting his first goal from the spot. You know, it was a, it was a solid, easy penalty, uh, a clear handball, as I recall. Um, and then got a, a striker's assist in the, in the second half, uh, won, won the second ball for a little target man, knocked down header, and Vlasic uh, volleyed home. And really, Ahmed, I, I can't remember Ahmed really threatening big. Like, you know, it, was, it wasn't like domination. There was, you know, chances for either side, possession for either side, but Cisco really didn't look too threatened, um, and and they played they play like they played as well as they needed to to get to get the three points. Um, so yeah, good to, good to see Rondon on the score sheet. Um, Pomazun getting his first clean sheet back at back at Siska. Uh, and I thought Ajuke had a decent cameo. He came off the bench um, uh, and had a had a decent cameo. I think um, in general he's been a disappointing signing. You know he was come in and he looked like he was maybe gonna. Offer similar qualities to someone like uh, like Feature with it with his raw dribbling and even quicker pace, but um, it's just it's just not worked for him quite yet. Um, but maybe maybe a decent performance like he had on the weekend will be a little boost for him. Yeah, I must admit, I was I was quite enthused by Ajuke's game at the weekend. He's he is one of those like Kavisha where his ironically his weaknesses are actually quite similar and it is in the final third of the pitch um but it seemed a lot more clinical at the weekend and that's something that Siska desperately need because the entire team are really not quite clinical enough but it was a very very solid performance and, and it was good to see Rondon play so well as well because that's I think that's going to be one of if not maybe the signing of the winter I think that's a very smart signing from Siska and I've mentioned before that I think it it's really the final key to potentially give them what they need in the title race. And this is why the title race is kind of so interesting. Zenit are by far and away the best and most talented team in the league, but they have stumbled a little bit and Spartak and Siska both capitalized on that with new players starting, starting and playing well. So it's, it's really increasing and ramping up the pressure on Zenit. And it'll be interesting to see how Zenit cope with that. It's really the first time that they, could go into the second half of the season with this sort of three-way title battle. And David, you've kept an eye on, of course, as usual, the in the Finnetel. Would you like to just give a go through a nice summary of some of the Finnet your uh, key Finnetel action from the weekend? Yeah, well, we had uh, since the last pod, we've had two two game weeks. We had one on the weekend, and we had a whole game week on Wednesday. Um, I suppose key points initially initially have dropped out of the top two. Um, they have yet to win uh, since the restart uh, and, have, and have dropped down. They uh, they lost to Fakel yesterday um, on the Wednesday. Fakel have on, are on a good good run of form uh, since the restart, especially, well, since they changed the manager just before the, restart, uh, just before the winter break. Um, so, yeah, they're going well. Uh, so, yeah, Nishni, Nishni not doing so good uh, currently. You've got Torpedo, who have now not won in five matches Stretching back to before winter, uh, and I've only scored one goal in that time. Uh, and uh, Sergei Nishevich under a bit of pressure from the fans, they've now dropped out of the top four with Alania uh, hopping over them, having uh, won two of their three games since the restart. 
the the top six as we were discussing before, which was uh, Krillian, Nizhny, uh, Orenberg, who've now jumped up in second, Torpedo, followed by Elani and Velez in fifth and sixth. Uh, Nefti Kimik and Baltica have now jumped up. Velez have had a, have had a poor restart, uh, have yet to win a game, uh, whereas Nefti Kimik and Baltica have, have both won at least two games uh, and have jumped up to join join the race. So they're now alongside Velez, uh, five points off fourth place. Um, and have extended extended the, the the race for the playoffs potentially to to seven horse maybe even an eight horse race. So the top's getting a bit tighter. Uh, Corellia pulling away. They 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 uh, have won with ease in each game so far. Beat Tom Tom's three one away. Uh, Segev with another brace uh, during the week. Uh, they're now the top scorers in the league and are really starting to pull away a little bit. And it's looking looking for sure like they they are at the very least going to be automatically promoted if not uh, title contenders. Uh, towards the bottom, say Fakel. Fakel are on a bit of form. Akron uh, have grabbed four points out of the last six and are trying to claw their way out of the relegation zone. Uh, you've got Irtish just hanging on in that final spot. Uh, and Krasnar too potentially looking to drop into the relegation zone. Uh, so that'll be that'll be interesting. You know, Akron have got a bit left to do, but but there's room for them to potentially do it. Um and then we've got poor old Shinnick, uh, who we've mentioned a few times now. But uh, since the restart, they've conceded 16 goals in, in three games, uh, compiled via a 6-0 loss to Yenisei uh, on Wednesday, which mid-table Yenisei, I should add, who have had a pretty average season. Um, so they, yeah, they're, they're almost officially gone at this stage, I think. Uh, let's think how many points. They're 17 points, 17 points down from the relegation spots with... Uh, with uh, nine games left to play, so give it another three or four weeks, and and they'll be gone officially already. Uh, and they are they are not good right now. So, um, a shame, a shame. But um, some some easy points there for the rest of the league whenever they got to face them for, for the rest of the season. And I'll just want to point out Tom Tomsk um, got a win against Alania, lost this week against Krillia, but put up a good fight. Um, They've got a young group of players brought in under uh, Alexander Kurzhikov, who obviously has worked with the Russian youth system in the past. A couple of players have really stood out, younger players. Uh, one guy, Nikita Krutsov, 18-year-old midfielder, has started every game so far. And I was watching the game against Krilia yesterday, and uh, it's a very, very, very bright player. Yet to get any cap at Russian youth level. Comes out of, uh, I think it's Torpedo Vladimir or Torpedo Armadir, one of those two two clubs. Um, so a real gem sort of maybe picked out of the rough there and uh, looks looks like a promising one, definitely. So that'd be interesting to see where he goes next season because Tom Thompson are almost certainly condemned to relegation as well at this stage. So um, yeah. so yeah, those are the headlines, I think. I think I've not forgotten anything, but we'll see. Richard, what do you think about Shinnick? Are they pretty much gone now? Yeah, I think we can um, officially confirm them gone. Uh, give it three, four more match days and that'll be that. Um, and, um, you know, quite nice that actually for, for well, for Nishini's point of view, even though they've had a poor restart, it's quite handy that they've got Shinnick this weekend. So um, that really has got to be the motivation to get the promotion charge back on track and surely they'll do it against Shinnick. And I, I know they've not had a good restart so far, Nishini, but that's an ideal opportunity and one that they've um, got to grab, really. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, that's this week's podcast over, pretty much. Now, it has been actually quite a quiet week in Russian football, for one, so at least by the usual standard. 
But even having said that, we have still received our customary ridiculous decision of the week. And that award goes to Lokomotiv. Um, it is in response to what is quite a scandalous photo. I mean, it was uploaded online and, and you can see that all over VK and Twitter. Well, you can find it yourselves. But Logo have sacked their entire media team, which comprises of over 20 staff. They were all actually removed from their posts without the club even lining up any replacements. And it was a very much a a snap decision, which is where the stupidity part of it comes from. Uh, as the story is still developing, I'll refrain from commenting too much on it at this time, but I do hope that in this difficult environment in the world right now, uh, those who were sacked are able to find themselves in a new job quite soon. Um, in particular, a friend of the site, Tim Bayaramov, Hanu interviewed him as part of our RPL social media manager series. Um, you can find that on, on the website. It's a real interesting read about the mechanics of what goes on be in the in the media side and the social side of the football club and another bit of news is that Tambov goalkeeper Sergei Rizhikov has now left Tambov and has actually retired from football at the tender age of 40 uh, certain Alexander Gregorian the rooster himself has been sacked from his job at Uratu in Armenia so if Sergei Galitsky does decide that he wants to sack a certain Murad Masayev there's a perfect ready-made replacement right there it, Highly experienced manager with great, uh, great man management skills and in, interest in the youth. <laughs> this weekend, there's another Moscow derby in the cards, the Spartak host Dinamo. And in another big battle for the European spots, Sochi travels to Lokomotiv. Now, the site is unfortunately still experiencing some technical gremlins. We are working our best to try and sort these out behind the scenes, but... It seems okay from the outside looking in, but I'll just let you know the back end of the site is lots of critical errors right now. We'll, we'll get that as live as soon as we can, but continue, we'll continue as usual with all the podcasts and YouTube channel. I just want to say thanks, Dave, for coming on this week. No and problem. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Richard. No problem at all. Absolute pleasure. This is the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет с ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.